0: Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. And Tim, today we're talking about stress, but I thought maybe a really interesting way to uh, begin this conversation was actually to pull... A story from the Tim Elmore archives, more or less, uh, that serves, I think at least, as a really good allegory for why we're talking about stress the way we're talking about stress today. So would you mind telling that story?
1: Well, certainly. Stress is almost always seen in the negative frame, Mm -hmm. where it's a bad thing, let's get rid of it as quick as we can. Um, if you've been around me for any length of time, and, and you believe this as well, stress is not always bad. Distress is not so good, but yeah. stress can be the greatest prompter for good things. So I think you're alluding to this experience I had, gosh, half a lifetime ago. <laughs> uh, it was one of the most stressful moments of my life, but I was speaking to students in the country of New Zealand, yeah, uh, and I was in a plane crash. Uh, it was a small private plane. But it was not a small crash.
0: (laughs) I don't think there is a small plane crash, is there? There's
1: no minor accidents in an airplane. Yeah. So uh, how it happened real quick, there were four of us on our team. It was a speaking team and a musician. And um, we flew on a commercial airliner to the South Island of New Zealand from Auckland. And then we got on board this tiny single engine Piper plane, four seats, We filled the plane. Yeah. But as we're flying through the sounds, and it's a little bumpy because it's very windy that day, we start to come in for a landing. And I look over the pilot's shoulder, which is how close I was. It's a small plane. Yeah. But I looked down, and I saw no runway at all. We were going to land. Like got a on field. Yeah, yeah, that's right, on a field. I think there might have been four orange cones down there. That was, <laughs> that was the was only very way we knew. That was very thoughtful of yeah. them, yes. Yeah, yeah, we thought so, yeah. So I kind of tapped Grant, the pilot, on the shoulder. And I said, hey, I don't see a runway. He goes, there's no runway, but I've done this four times. <laughs> wow. Isn't that what wow, you want to hear? four more times than I have. <laughs> yeah. So he finally brings the plane down and starts to touch down, but he suddenly realizes he's not going to have enough ground to bring the plane to a stop before the woods began, the trees. Oh, no, There's yeah. a forest um, on the tail end of this field. So he quickly realizes he's going to have to take the plane back up, circle around, and try to land one more time. So he encourages us to tighten our seatbelts. We do so. He takes the plane straight up. We just go. I remember just looking straight up. We got about 120 feet in the air. So I remember we're about 10 or 20 feet. And we realize we got to go back up. Yeah, yeah. So we shoot up 100 feet. We're about 12 stories in the air when the engine stalls. Oh no! Yeah, the lights on the instrument panel just lit up. The buzzers start buzzing, <laughs> and Grant, the pilot, screams. Oh no! Yeah,
0: <laughs> you you know you're in trouble yeah, when right? That's right,
1: exactly. So we spiraled down to the ground, and I you know had no idea I would ever be telling a story like this. But um, my wing, the left wing, hit first and just bashed into dozens of pieces. The torso hits. We're all thrown around. In fact, Grant, the pilot, just went right through the windshield. Oh His seatbelt broke and just boom, so his head's all gashed up. Yeah. Um, The rest of us were thrown around, but we stayed in the plane, and we're all kind of beaten up, but we all live. So it was a minor miracle. I don't Uh, think I'm exaggerating. Maybe greater than a minor, yeah. yeah, Yeah, to the fact that we all live. Well, People are calling whatever 911 is in New Zealand, and they're rushing out to the plane. Somebody gets a crowbar, opens up the door of the plane, and pulls the rest of us three out of the plane and wow. lay us on the ground. Well, I'm wide awake. I'd like to see I blacked out. I'm just wide awake. It would awake have been nice head. if you had, probably. Yeah. So yeah. I'm wondering, as I'm laying on the ground waiting for, there, waiting for—there were some nurses on the, on the campground. That's good. And they start bandaging up my ankle and my rib and my head. But I remember thinking, okay, what am I going to do with this? And I knew I could either do the probably very predictable human response, and that's just be a victim of this, be a patient, be, just be a nice patient. Yeah. But I thought, this, this is a moment I need to be at my very best. Hmm. How often do you get a moment like this? Yeah. So I'm not taking any claim that I was thinking clearly. I, that's just my thought. <laughs> and I found out that that sense of purpose in that moment was absolutely my saving grace. Hmm. So what ended up happening was the life flight helicopter got out there. There was room for three in the back of that helicopter, along with the pilot and the co-pilot. So the three other guys got in. I was the one left behind. You were in I the lost. best shape. Still I, yeah, not in I great was, shape, yeah, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's exactly right. I have yeah. several things to say, but I'm going to continue <laughs> the story. Uh, I waved to the guys and said, say hi to the nurses. Bye-bye. Yeah. So they, the folks that remained there took me on crutches and took me over to the house nearby, and I was still wondering, how how could I how could this be used to do good? How mm-hmm. could I make a difference? How could I make an impact, change the world? That's been my whole mantra. I want to change the world, just like a million other people do. Yeah. But as I'm laying there on a bed in this house next door, there's a knock at the front door. And um, when the homeowners answer the door, who should be on the front porch? But... People from the two national television networks. Okay.
0: They're there to cover the story.
1: It's the number one news story of the day. Okay, In the country. In the country, which tells you how much is going on in New Zealand right now. (laughs) I don't know. It's pretty
0: significant. Yeah, it was.
1: It was. And, of course, they want to know, can we interview somebody that saw the plane crash? Well, the homeowner said, saw the plane crash? We got a guy in the back bedroom (laughs) that was in the plane crash.
0: I love that they're not trying to protect you. They're just looking for their opportunity. They'll set him up. Yeah.
1: So this is what's funny. I've been told this later. The news people said, can he talk? They go, can he talk? We'll go get him. <laughs> so they, they took me out to That's the backyard, awesome. and they kind of leaned me up against a tree because I couldn't really stand up on my own. I'm trying to look somewhat cool yeah. leaning up against a tree. But the news people said, tell us what happened. And it was my chance to talk to 3 million New Zealanders at the, non, at the 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 11 o'clock news. So I, I, I look back on that now. It's a, it's a very strange, surreal experience. Um, I think it served a purpose though, and it gave. I think my sense of purpose, my sense of staying on, saved me from that stressor. That was a stressor, if there ever was one. I dare say that's true. Life. So Andrew, I guess um, as I think about my takeaways there, I feel like um, I've had different moments like this, where uh, either getting diabetes in college, which gave me my sense of. Urgency, yeah. Uh, the, the seven car crashes I've been in, which is give me a sense of mortality. Yeah, uh, there's been different. Just like you, I'm sure you have stories that you go in that moment. Um, the stressor was present, and what saved me was a sense of purpose.
0: Absolutely, and that's one of the things I love about you, Tim. And I think most people who know you would say the same thing: is you've never wasted an opportunity because of that vigilant mindset that I feel like you have. Uh, in a lot of ways, that's what we're talking about today is because we all go through difficult circumstances. If everybody listening to this had a moment, we could all tell a story, maybe not of a plane crash, but of a a moment in life when I was totally stressed out. Yeah. I didn't know how I was going to handle it. I was overwhelmed with the situation. And I think it's the rare individual, sadly, it's the rare individual who says, you know what, what if there's some opportunity yeah. in the midst of this chaos, mm-hmm. and what if something could be we can make the most of it. Yeah. And that's really what we're talking about today. It is.
1: And so you and I have been talking prior to this recording about how much the crash this last year was this COVID-19 pandemic. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Millions would say, man, we improved because we made some amazing decisions, but millions would also say it just about sunk our boat. You know, absolutely. This business or the school that wasn't ready technologically for this... Um, It was just horrendous.
0: Absolutely. And there's been really bad stories and difficult situations that have come out of it. But I came across an article from the Washington Post um, just a couple of weeks ago that I feel like isolated this to a degree that I maybe had not seen before, because for this one school, Indio High School in Palm Desert, California, the biggest issue they have faced is truancy. They have over Ah. 2,000 students who are in this school, Um, and uh, the story was really interviewing and following along with Rich Pimentel, who is the uh, assistant principal at that school. And things have gotten so bad with kids not showing up to their virtual classrooms. They've gone from 94% attendance to about 70% attendance. So just chaotically um, less. And they literally have tried so many things that the the place he's at now is literally he spends his entire day driving around their district to all the students who are not showing up, crawling over fences, knocking on doors, shouting from the street, trying to find these kids because he knows a couple of them. I mean, this is a high school. A couple of them were months away from graduation wow. and it just all fell apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just a reminder to me, a very sobering reminder of mm-hmm. the stressful crash as you yeah. you know use that allegory that's going on, I think right now for a yeah. lot of these students. No doubt about
1: it. And one of the intriguing things as I think about with this last year, I think part of the intrigue for me is that learning from home and teaching from home or teaching virtually, uh, made us both more and less exposed. Okay. So it's kind of a contradiction, a, a paradox, if you will. So um, our exposure increased as everyone can now see our homes, oh, our, yeah. our, our cat, our dog. Yeah, our, everything's in know, the background. We're, we're in right? gym shorts, not not real pants, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. But yet we were less exposed in that we weren't out on campus. And so, uh, you know, we could hide. We could hide some things, and millions learn how to hide including these students who were truant in in Palm Desert, California. So absolutely. it's just a strange strange time in our human history that we're in. And I you and I both believe the reason growing leaders exist is to help us as caring adults do really well at leading the next generation and building a generation of leaders who lead on purpose.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and, and really what we're talking about is how do we how do we train up, raise up, develop up kids who uh, utilize an opportunity like this to say, how can I make the most of it? Uh, You actually used a phrase um, that I love. Will you share that with us? Because I I think it's a perfect allegory for what we're talking about here. Yeah, well, the big
1: question we're posing is what if instead of falling apart, these difficult events cost us to fall together. I love it. And meaning we're collaborating better, we're thinking missionally, Yeah. Uh, we're going through the quote-unquote crash, and we're coming out with greater sense of purpose than ever
0: because we need it. I love that. I yeah. love that. Because the fall is still present, right? Yep. We cannot get away from the uh, tragic events that we're yeah. facing or the stressors that we're dealing with. But what if that, that fall could lead us to fall together <laughs> yeah. rather than fall apart? I love yeah. that.
1: So uh, listeners, what we want to do is talk for a few minutes, and we're going to get really practical with some ideas, on how to teach students to think like a leader, to think on purpose, as a helper to the stressors in their life. So let me say that again. What if teaching students to think like leaders, so meaning we're not teaching them to get a position, but a disposition, we teach them to think like leaders, to think on purpose, and that in itself could be a remedy to the stress that they feel in life. And all of us would agree. Oh, they got stressed. Yes. For sure. Yeah. So uh, now when we say leader, I've already said disposition, not position. Uh, here's what I think of when I think of leader. I think leaders take initiative and control the controllables. Hmm. I think leaders trust and collaborate with a team of people.
0: Yeah. Whether that's my family or my friends yeah, or whomever. Yeah, that's
1: right. Uh, or a class, yeah. <laughs> leaders coordinate the, uh, this, this team of people to work toward a purpose, like mm, we've mentioned, yeah. and then leaders set an example for others to follow. So imagine, if you will, if you're a teacher, if you're a coach, if you're an employer with small with uh, young people on your team, what could happen if all of them learned to think like leaders and did those
0: statements I just made? Um, it could be huge. Yeah. And this is... Um you know, we're called growing leaders. And so I think there's this sort of underlying belief when people hear that name, they think, oh, you're the people who work with the school president. Yeah. It's like, well, we like that kid, yeah. right? But really when we define leadership, we're talking about a holistic perspective, yeah. right? It's it's about the way you conduct yourself in everything that you do yeah. because leadership starts with self-leadership, right? Yeah. Uh, if That's I right. am not leading myself in my own journey, giving myself purpose, working with the people around me, mm-hmm. then I can't expect to one day reach a position of leadership, right? which is why we're really talking about every kid, not just those kids in positions of leadership. When we talk about what does it look like to have a, a leadership mindset. So true. In
1: fact, when we talk about it like this, where it's people that know how to solve problems and serve people, every high school principal, every middle school principal, every college dean would go, yeah, we want to graduate people like <laughs> Absolutely, that. Absolutely, yeah. So that's really what we're about. Now, Andrew, let's go back and go to the research behind our ideas, yeah. and then let's share some some ideas. So you and I have talked a lot, Andrew, over the years, really, now, since marching off the map and since Generation Z Unfiltered, Mm -hmm. about some great research that was first done in 1954, so over 70 years ago, or over 60 years ago, I should say, um, by Dr. Julian Rotter, who uh, taught at both Ohio State University and the University of Connecticut. But he came up with a scale in 1954 that he began to use with college students And the scale was all about determining a student's internal or external locus of control. Yes. Most people have heard that term. And just in case you need a memory uh, jogger, um, he found that those who have an internal locus uh, of control assume greater personal responsibility for their lives. Yeah. Yeah. And then those with an external locus assume someone else must take responsibility. So it's not all or nothing. We all have a combination. Absolutely. But we're either looking outward for the answer or we're looking inward for the answer. Now, listeners, you're all, I'm sure, nodding your head and going, yep, my kids, or yep, my students, or yep, my athletes, they're external. They have doggone it. They're looking for their mama to do it, or they're mm-hmm. looking for their coach to do it, or their strength and conditioning coach to do it. And, and we're just saying, what if we could foster an internal locus of control? That doesn't mean they become control freaks. It just means they're going to own what's theirs. I so.
0: love that. I love that. That mindset that we're talking about, um, and there's so much research has been yeah. done in the years since that. Yeah. That mindset is such a connection point to how how students feel about my own sense of purpose, where am I headed yeah. in life, who's in control. So this is a crucial, crucial uh, transaction. So before we get to the five
1: ideas, um, let me just kind of lay the foundation, then we'll get into them. I believe, this is just me, the answer to lowering stress levels is usually not to remove the stressors. I mean, and and even if it were, only some of the student stressors could even be removed. We can't just say we're going to make life smooth and easy. Uh, This is why we must equip our students to manage their own stress, and we must begin to give them a sense of control or ownership of their daily experiences. And Andrew, we've got a handful of ideas we think can do just
0: that. Absolutely. And I want to get into those, um, because I think this is exactly what we need to be talking about. We cannot control a pandemic, right? Yeah. But we can control our mindset and what we do next. Yep. So- Let's jump in. Okay. Number one, the first of five.
1: Uh, This is a simple one, but it can be profound if you do it well. List the activities that occur each day. Let's say you're teaching remotely or coaching remotely or whatever you're doing. List the activities that occur each and every day, and then make sure you place them in the right bucket. Love it. Now, this is one of our Habitude images. Very quickly, there are three buckets we believe in life, and everything that happens to us fits in one of these three buckets. It's either in our control, it's out of our control, or it's within our influence everything that happens in, out, or within our influence. So I'm suggesting, what if you had students list what happens in a typical day on paper, then cut each one of these items up, so you make little strips of paper with the lists, and, and you place them in visible buckets. This is an exercise you're doing. They'll be amazed at how much really is in their control. Yeah. And how much stuff they shouldn't be worrying about because they worry is not going to help it get in their control. Yep. We uh, Athletes can't control the weather or the referees. Yep. They can't. It's true. Uh, but there's stuff you can control, your effort and practice, your yep. your energy in the game, your focus, all that stuff. Absolutely. This is liberating because, Andrew, I would say some of my worst problems in life happen when I take the stuff that happens and put it in the wrong bucket. Yep. yep. Um, I don't know if you want to comment on that. No,
0: it's totally true. It's totally true. And, and if you look at what stressors are causing the most problems with your students, it's typically either something that's yeah. in their control that they've put into the out of their control yeah, bucket. Yeah. Right. I should be taking responsibility yeah, for that's that, right. but I'm not. Or I'm taking something from the out-of-my-control bucket and I'm putting it into the in-my-control bucket by, you know, over-worrying about a global pandemic that I really don't have any control over, right? Or over-stressing about, as you said, the referee and his or her conduct in that last game. And it's like, you know what? You can't control that. You've got to focus on the stuff that's in your control or else that stressor is going to continue to bother you uh, for forever, maybe.
1: So bottom line is we lower stress by placing our activities in the right bucket. Love it. That's number one. Number two, rotate students into leadership roles to own the classroom experience. Yeah. So Andrew, you and I both know teachers that are within our partnerships that do this. So they'll take their class, let's say it's 25 students, and not all 25 necessarily have a leadership role. But most of them do. Mm-hmm. I mean, your students can have a responsibility and ownership of something. And by the way, base it on their gifts. So uh, for instance, some could uh, facilitate a breakout group discussion, the people, persons that are in your class. Uh, others could take attendance. Others could keep track of specific projects. And while it may sound like it's going to add to the student stressor, actually, we have sh- seen, the Dr. Julian Rodder's research, that when you have control of something, Even though it may be harder at first, it actually lowers your stress. Listeners, think about your own life. Don't you feel more stressed out when a lot of the stuff happening in your day is out of your control? Mm -hmm. I bet bet you do. We feel it's harder, but it actually feels less stressful when at least I go, well, at least this is in my control. Yep.
0: Yep. Yep. Yeah, so. yeah, so it's really about giving ownership, giving responsibility, yeah. and when we do that, it's, it's sort of like a key that unlocks that yeah. ability to feel like, okay, I have something yeah. I can put my, my skills toward. That's right. So think of some ways
1: your students could take roles of leadership. Number three, offer control of the environment that these students have remotely, with backgrounds or camera placements. So we've talked about, you and I and Grace have talked about this, how some teachers have been so creative at letting students create their own environment. Yeah. You know, they've got planet Saturn behind them or whatever Uh, I don't know. But but now, that seems so simple, and it is simple. In fact, that's the genius. It's so simple, but yet it, it lets them have a little bit of control of the feel or the tone of their very environment. So um, what if you chose a different background and camera placement on your computer or in your classroom? That means you as a teacher, and then you allow them to do the same thing. You can even take a moment to let them explain why they chose their environment, their experience, their image, uh, one teacher said this became the highlight of the day,
0: highlight yeah. of the day for some of the students. I think it's great, yeah. And you can even choose the theme for each day, like yeah. everybody pick your favorite TV show and That's make right. a background of yeah. out of it You know, today and we'll do something different the next yeah, day. Absolutely. It's a cool idea.
1: Yep, all right, number four, create opportunities for them to invite classmates into their personal space. Now, all we mean by this is, what if you took a segment of your class period or day and you said, all right, Josh or whoever, Jessica, whatever, um, take us into your room and show us something that means something to you, mm. something you're passionate about. And they might pick up a basketball, they might pick up a, a science project from last year, or a poster in the room, but um, it just allows them to, again, control the narrative by sharing the story of their
0: life and why it is important to them. This can be actually a stress reducer in their life. Absolutely. What you'll find is that these are probably conversations, at least in part, that students would have had with one another if they were in that Mm -hmm. physical classroom and they were just getting to know one another and bantering back and forth. And so what you're really doing is you're creating a substitute in that virtual classroom for what happens naturally when you're just together in person. That's really true. So again, let me connect the dots real quick.
1: We're talking about reducing stress by purpose, right? So this allows students to share a little bit about their ideas identity, which we think is very clearly tied, even if it's just in the moment, to their sense of purpose. I love
0: it. I love it. Last one?
1: Last one, number five. Teach students in a variety of contexts to create a unique experience. So Andrew, you and I were inspired by one particular teacher that really did a road trip, didn't she? Yes. In fact, let me let you tell, this is a fun story. Talk about this story and how it just made her students look forward to every day with her as a teacher.
0: Absolutely. So she, yeah, I believe she was an early high school teacher and this was actually early in the pandemic. I think it was best May, 2020, something like that. And uh, she and her husband actually owned a camper. And so what she decided to do was my students are all in a virtual classroom anyways. (laughs) uh, So she's teaching social studies and history. And what she does is every time the kids log into her classroom, she's somewhere different in the country. So I think she taught one from Plymouth Rock and she taught one from uh, the uh, Lorraine Mattel in Memphis, Memphis, Memphis where um, MLK was shot. So she just does all these different places yeah. around, and she's able to bring history to mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. by having the, the being little, literally physically in the place yes. where uh, this, these uh, moments in history happened. I just thought it was a really cool idea for, for doing that. I wish I would have had
1: a history teacher that did that. I know, it would have been anyway, cool.
0: But that's a bitter moment in my life that I'll
1: get out of uh, one day soon.
0: I love that. A teacher gets a vacation too. Yeah, so that yeah, wasn't that's right. too bad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and got to write off all the receipts. Exactly. Um, well, I hope this short list sparks some ideas of your own that are maybe even better. But I just want to remind you, listeners, part of the answer to the stress levels we face is living life on purpose and making sort of leadership opportunities available to your everyday students so that they
0: can experience it. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, as we were talking about how to close, I know you came across actually several, we'll call them mini stories, but just examples of young people who proved that they have the ability to handle stress and uh, really maximize the moment. Uh, It's a reminder to us of exactly the same kind of students that we're leading today.
1: So from young to old, all of these kids I'm about to talk about in about two minutes real real quick here, are kids that somehow found this leadership opportunity and this sense of purpose, and it saved their very lives in terms of stress levels. Damonte Love, who was six years old when Hurricane Katrina hit the New Orleans area, yeah. it was you remember it was a catastrophe. Yeah, uh, people lost their lives and lost their homes. So the crowds of people were being rushed to helicopters, who were going to lifeflight them out to safer territory, and. DeMonte's mom was separated from him, so she's separated from her six-year-old and I think his younger uh, brother. Oh, wow. So as she's going away, she says, son, take care of your baby brother. Well, DeMonte not only took of his baby brother, there were six kids that needed help, all younger than him. Oh my god. So he's six. He's got six kids younger than him. He's, car- he's spotted carrying a baby in diapers, walking him over to safety because his mom's nowhere near him, and he was counted the six-year-old leader. He was written up in a book, a book at six years old. My goodness! But the point was, this little kid said. In fact, I think he, in his own six-year-old vocabulary, said, "I'm so glad I had something to do because I was scared to death." You know that mm. sort of thing. So what a great picture of an elementary school kid, yeah, finding that leading actually saved his life. That's amazing. Purpose actually saved his Not life. Not to mention those other kids. Yeah, that's right, and, and some others. That's usually what leadership does. Yeah. So um, Sagan Woolry uh, saw a commercial on TV years ago about community service. It was a commercial about doing community service. And uh, she said later, at the time when she saw the commercial, she was really worried about kids who were on a free lunch program at school, but how did they get lunch during the summer? Yeah.
0: It's a good question. Yeah, and it's a big problem. Well, often they
1: didn't get lunch if mom or dad weren't there or weren't making enough money to buy lunch. Mm. So she, by the way, she was a teenager, organizes a free lunch program. Well, she got really worried about this, and then she went to her mom, thank God for good moms, who said, let's go down to the soup kitchen in town, let's ask how they do it. And they were kind of to say, "Uh, if you want help, we'll help you line up and organize a program that you can lead, we'll just tell you how to do it. And this teenager figured out how to organize a free lunch program for kids in the summer, summer after summer, where they knew where to come and get food and take it back and have a great lunch, even uh, without mom and dad maybe able to do it themselves. Mm. Crazy. I love and then that. Louis Braille, many people have heard this famous story. You probably recognize the last name. Yep. So Louis, uh, back in the 19th century, at the age of three, was playing his dad's uh, shop, wood shop and he had an awl in his hand you know those yeah they look like pokers yeah. well he poked his eye out oh, at my 3 gosh. years old by age 5 the infection had spread to the other eye he was completely b- blind by kindergarten age okay well that's awful yeah because back then they handled um, disabled and blind people very not as well as we do today and mm-hmm. we need to do better yeah but his mom and dad found a school in paris they lived in france that could take you know kids that are blind So he went to this school, but by age 12, he had grown frustrated at the poor system they had for reading for the blind. Yeah. It had been come up by some uh, military officer, and it was really designed for soldiers to read something at night where they could feel something and and then figure it out. But he said, it just took so long to read a book, because your whole hand had to press against it, then you had to guess. So Louis Braille, at age 15, had come up with an entire system of reading for the blind. We use it to this day, the Braille uh, system of, mm-hmm. of reading for the blind. It's, world, it's, it's global. 15 years old. I'd say that's freshman, sophomore year of high school. Yep, yep. And he did it all, and he said... Uh, by the way, here's a cool thing. Talk about purpose. Do you know how he developed this system of little dots with an all? The very tool that poked his eye out was mm-hmm. what he used. To, to, to come up with a system of answering the
0: very need he had himself. My goodness. yeah! What a reminder each of these stories are I know. of what yeah. kids have inside of them. Too often they don't get enough credit, and really, I think what it comes down to is not what's inside of them, but how we treat them. How do we bring out that's right. what's inside of them? So it comes down to our, our style of leadership and, and sort of the occasion that we ask them to rise to. So uh, lots of people may or may not know this, but uh, one of the subcompetencies of social-emotional learning is managing stress or stress management, depending on who you ask. And I just think that's one of the reminders yeah. for us of uh, uh, that this is uh, a key component of what we know to be some of the most important Conversations we absolutely need to be having. If you are not having these conversations, can I just pre- present to you one option, one opportunity that you might be able to utilize? It's called Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning. We utilize uh, Habitudes, which are uh, images that form leadership habits and attitudes, and those images teach life skills. And life skills are totally in line with uh, social and emotional learning skills that we know students need now, but will also need in the future. If you want to check that out, and even actually try. Try it for free. Uh, go on over to growingleaders.com SEL, growingleaders.com SEL, and you will get to that page. you be able to find out more information about what that program looks like and check it out for yourself. As always, if you would rate this podcast, that gets the word out about what we're doing here. Give us five stars wherever you uh, 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 get your podcasts, iTunes or wherever. Um, if you would share this podcast, if you found it helpful, pass it along to a friend. Uh, we'd love for you to do that. If uh, you want to connect with us online, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore pretty much everywhere you are. And finally, if you've got ideas for this podcast, things you want us to talk about, people to interview, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. We love getting those. Tim, thank you so much for challenging us and leading us today. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next time.